you've seen the title of the episode. Maybe you've tuned in to a few of my podcasts in the past. And now the million dollar question, is this Onward in the Faith guy some boring, dry stick in the mud who doesn't drink alcohol? Or does he understand that the Bible doesn't forbid it and that Christians are allowed to have a drink? The answer is yes and yes. You're listening to Onward in the Faith with Ray Burns. Ray is dedicated to equipping Christians to understand why they believe what they believe so that they can keep moving onward in their faith toward maturity in Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry financially, visit patreon.com slash onwardinthefaith. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. And make sure you visit onwardinthefaith.com where you can read hundreds of articles about every area of the Christian life. Now here's Ray with today's topic. When we think about drinking alcohol today, we often want a very cut and dry solution. Either the Bible forbids it, so we don't, or the Bible allows it, and so we do. Today, what I would like to do is instead of just trying to pull a single verse out of the Bible to allow or forbid a behavior, I would instead like to approach it from an overall biblical perspective and share three reasons why I personally don't drink alcohol, and I want to end it with one reason why Christians still can, and why I have no problem with Christians who want to drink alcohol. Now, when we talk about alcohol in the church and someone who doesn't drink it, often it's either, as I said, because they think falsely that the Bible expressly forbids any alcohol from crossing our lips, or it is a personal reason because they often struggled with being addicted and enslaved to alcohol either before they were saved or even during their salvation, and Christ has since freed them or is still setting them free from it. And so whatever reason, they they choose not to drink alcohol because they know what it does to them. Now, as I said, I don't drink alcohol, but I've never had a history of what we would call alcoholism in the past. And it's also not that I don't like alcohol necessarily. So instead, what I'd like to do is just share three biblical reasons why I personally know that I can drink alcohol, but will choose not to. Now, the first reason that I don't drink alcohol is because by not drinking it, it allows me to love others. And I want to start off by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 8 through 10. It says, But food will not commend us to God. Neither are we the worse if we do not eat, nor better if we do eat. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you who have knowledge... Dining in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be strengthened to eat things sacrificed to idols? Now, within the context of this passage, what we are seeing is that there were some in this particular church who had a history with worshiping false gods, you know, because uh, Corinth was a, a pagan city, and so they had Christians who were once followers of false gods. And so as they were kind of understanding their new life, they had a very sensitive understanding of interacting with temples and idols and things like that. And so while, you know, throughout the Bible, we are reminded that idols aren't alive. There's nothing in them. They are pretty pieces of wood and stone. And so this church was struggling in the fact that, you know, Paul starts off this passage by talking about how food doesn't make us better or worse to God. We aren't better before him if we eat it, and we're not worse if we don't eat it. And in this, he's not talking about just food in general, but food offered to these gods. You know, someone would go into the temple, and they would want, 
you know, better crops or uh, healing from sickness. And so they would leave a sacrifice or an offering to this God of food. Well, these gods would eat the spiritual side of the food, leaving the physical part behind. And so people could then eat this food that was offered to the gods because the God had had his kind of spiritual helping of it already. And so in this church, you had these Christians who were going and eating this food that was offered to idols. And what Paul is saying here is that if in a in a vacuum, right, in an isolated scenario, if you go and eat this food offered to idols, it doesn't really matter. It's just food. You aren't somehow more impressive to God because you can boldly go in there and say, I can eat this food offered to idols because I know it's not real. Nor are you better before God because you say, I reject this food. I will not eat it because it had something to do with pagan worship. And so Paul's saying that's not the point. The point is that we have the freedom, we have the liberty to do this thing. But, and I'll just reread what he says, take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And now when we think weak in our modern context, we think, oh, those who are worse, those who aren't as good. And really what it's talking about is those who are sensitive, those who can't do this thing without it being an issue. And so here Paul is laying out for us that we, in in this uh, church in Corinth, you know, they had the freedom to eat or not eat the food offered to idols, whatever, it's food. But his concern and his desire for them was that as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't want that freedom to do what we want and have our own way to stand in the way of another brother and sister in Christ and to cause them to stumble and to cause them to potentially end up slipping right back into paganism because they would say, oh, well, it's okay to eat this, you know, go to the temples and and get the food. And then by entering the temple, possibly being led to return to a previous lifestyle or previous spiritual struggle that they had. And so, you know, Paul is just laying out here that just because you can doesn't mean you should. And this is very convicting to me because, as, as I said, I don't have a history with alcohol to where I think alcohol would necessarily be a problem for me any more than any other addictive substance might be or something used recreationally or something used to make us feel good. But, you know, if we were almost anywhere else in the world, the whole idea of other people struggling with alcoholism would almost be a non-conversation because in you know, places like Germany and France, alcohol is just a common thing. It is an integrated part of people's life to where, for the most part, people don't seem to struggle with it like we do here in America. Whereas here in America, we use it for partying. We use it to get inebriated to the point of struggling to have full control over ourselves. And alcoholism is almost a pandemic in its own right because it is such a life-destroying and family-destroying problem that we have in America and even in the church. And so as I'm sitting here and thinking about it, I need to ask myself, should I be using my freedom to drink, to have fun with something at the cost or at the detriment to a brother and sister who may see me drinking or or know that I drink even and say, well, you know, if Ray can do it or if, you know, these people at church can do it, then and not get addicted to it or not be controlled by it, then, you know, maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit, I can go back to drinking, but doing it in a controlled way, doing it in a way that doesn't take me back to the life that Christ has freed me from. And with alcohol being such a huge part of life in America, and it being such a devastating things to lives of even people I know, I can't in good conscience 
drink alcohol knowing that I could, completely without meaning to, encourage someone back into baby steps towards a devastating life that they left behind. And again, as I said, or as I will say anyway, alcohol itself isn't a sin for a Christian to take part in. In, like I said, France, Germany, it's probably not even a conversation worth having. But here in in America, in our modern context, we have a lot of people who feel that for them, drinking alcohol is wrong. And I don't want to be the encouragement or the temptation for someone else to do what they know they shouldn't do. You know, and we see kind of this idea in James 4.17, which talks about to the one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. So kind of taking these two ideas together, I don't want to use my freedom to encourage someone or to tempt someone into something that is so prevalent in our lives that I could lead them to think that they should do something they know they shouldn't do for their own personal reasons and have me then become a stumbling block just because I might want to relax with you know a bottle of alcohol once in a while. And just to really kind of put a, a fine point on this idea of how me not drinking alcohol is my way of loving other people who would struggle with it. If we continue reading on in this first Corinthians passage, chapter eight, and then verses 12 and 13, Paul goes on to say, and so by sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. And so this isn't just about a biblical command to drink or not to drink. This is about, am I loving myself and my own wants and my own desires more than I'm loving the struggles of people around me? And it's not just about, oh, I know my friend at church struggled with alcohol, so I won't drink in front of them or talk about alcohol in front of them. Because while there are Christians out there who will be open and honest about their life before Christ, there are so many more others who won't admit or maybe not even realize how much they've struggled with alcohol in the past. And so we all probably know someone who is either currently or has in the past struggled with alcohol so much that it dominated their lives. And so if Christ is calling us to love others more than ourselves, so much so that us leading them to sin is us sinning against Christ, then I want to be very careful that I am not trying to find that fine line between, oh, I can enjoy this, but not too much, or I can enjoy this, but not in front of certain people. If alcoholism is so big and so problematic today for people to the degree that it can completely pull them away from Christ because they're following after that desire so fervently, I don't want to do anything to bring that in front of them. I want to stand with them in their sensitivity, in their weakness, in their struggle. And set aside my own desires, my own wants, my own pleasure in order to love them more, in order to encourage them in their walk with Christ, in order not to put a stumbling block that's going to hinder their own walk with their Savior. And so in the historical context, if Paul is saying, you know, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Today, my approach is if alcohol causes my brother to stumble, I will never drink alcohol again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now, reason number two that I don't drink alcohol is that the Bible does actually have commands about alcohol, and it commands us not to get drunk. And for me personally, alcohol just isn't worth flirting with that line between God honoring and sin. 
So we can see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 18, which says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So within what is really not a whole lot of words, there's actually a lot of deep truth that we can see here. And so let's just try to break it down quickly so that we can understand why drunkenness is a problem and why, for me personally, I don't even want to dance with getting anywhere near that line. So it's, it starts off by saying, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. So here we see a call to think, to be mindful of what we're doing. And as Christians, that is huge in every aspect of our life. We can't just go along and do what we've always done or just do what people around us are doing. We should always be asking ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why do I believe what I believe? And then after a call for mindfulness, Paul kind of refines it down and says, making the most of your time. So here we see that our time is not only limited, but we need to use it with wisdom. You know, he says, Don't be unwise, but be wise. Be mindful of the time you have on this earth. And as you recall, in one of my previous episodes, I talked about God's greatest desire for your life. And this kind of goes along with that idea that we have a limited time on this earth. And if we are going to live the life God wants us to, then we need to use great wisdom and great discernment and be mindful to make sure that we are doing what pleases our God, not just us. And then going on, he says, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so again, we see here another contrast. Either we can be seeking the will of God, we can be trying to understand who God is and what he desires for his people, as well as us as individuals, or we can be fools. So if we are not seeking God's will, if we are not trying to understand his desires in every aspect of our lives, with our jobs, with our family, even how we understand alcohol, if we're not trying to understand the will of God, we are fools according to what we're reading here. And then he goes on to, to take this idea even closer to home. And he says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So again, we have two contrasts. Either we are controlled by the Spirit, our lives are dominated by Him, our decisions are in line with what he desires, or we are controlled by alcohol. We are drunk with wine. In other words, we can't be getting drunk with wine. We can't be having our minds muddled, our decisions clouded, our self-control removed, and still be following after God, still be living a life that pleases the Lord. And it's not that, you know, alcohol is some magical thing. It's that every area of our lives, every moment of our day needs to be dedicated to God. And if we are getting drunk, then what we're doing is we are serving ourselves, we are loving ourselves, and we are giving in to our sin nature and its desires rather than God's. And then to really close all this out, in the middle of this last warning, it talks about how getting drunk with wine is dissipation. And that can seem like a weird word. So let's kind of think about it in a more modern context. So if this were talking about money, let's say, and it said to Be careful how you spend your money, not as wise men, but as wise, making the most of your money. If you were then to go say, and do not waste your money on scratchy lotto tickets, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, 
then that might make a little more sense. In other words, this whole idea of dissipation, of how getting drunk is dissipation, it's really an idea of squandering our time away, because that's what this is talking about. It's about how do we use our time? How are we spending our lives? Where are our desires and passions leading us in our decision making? And Paul is warning us, think about the limited time you have. Make sure that you are following the will of God. Because to just sit around and get drunk, or even in our modern context, I would argue that we could say things like getting distracted on our phone, binging Netflix at the expense of our other obligations or responsibilities, you know, doing drugs, really anything. I mean, even becoming what we call a workaholic, I think, could fall into this idea that we are wasting our time away trying to be distracted, and we are squandering the limited number of years that God gives us to glorify him on this earth. And so, again, we have to find that line that alcohol is not being forbidden here. It's not saying don't drink wine for that is a dissipation that is squandering your time. It says don't get drunk. Don't be controlled by it. Don't pattern your life in a state of stupor and mental fogginess because of the pleasures that you're seeking, because that is wasting your time. That is making you ineffective for the kingdom of God while here on this earth. You know, so what we're seeing here is just this idea that God is coming down hard on those who would give up control of themselves, who would waste their time. And then we see another issue with the idea of why drunkenness is so dangerous and how, as Christians, I believe that we all need to be very careful that we aren't just finding the line. We're not just pushing the boundaries just far enough so that we can get out of trouble while still having the maximum amount of personal enjoyment. And we see this in Galatians 5. 19 through 21. And now if you're kind of familiar with this whole passage, this is about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit of the spirit obviously being those behaviors, those traits, the worldview that the Holy Spirit develops in us as he is bringing us closer to Jesus Christ and making us more like him in what we call sanctification. And then before we see this fruit of the spirit, before we see what the mark and the life of a mature believer looks like, we instead start off by seeing what the works of the flesh look like. In other words, this is the natural result of our sin nature, our fleshly desires. And so uh, Galatians five nineteen through 21 says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you. And those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we've got a long list here. And as always, I would encourage you to kind of pause and just check this passage out for yourself. Because if you're like me, you're better at understanding and and knowing what's being said through reading more than listening. Uh, But what we're seeing here is just a long list of things that is a natural part of our flesh in our sinfulness, in our natural way of thinking and behaving apart from God and apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These are our natural desires. These are ways that we see our sin nature come out before we were saved and redeemed by the blood of Christ. And we even see it afterwards. And in the midst of all of these we see drunkenness. Now, if we really, if we, if we take drunkenness, 
Because a lot of times we think, oh, you know, I, I just, you know, sometimes I drink a little too much. You know, maybe I'll get a little tipsy. I'll get a little drunk sometimes, but it's not a big deal. I'm responsible, whatever. You know, as Christians, we, as part of alcohol being a such a big part of our culture, we try to play off when we get drunk. We try to make it no big deal because we think that it happens just infrequently enough or we're not as bad as someone else maybe. But really think about it if we applied that kind of logic and reasoning to other things listed in this deeds of the flesh passage that we see. You know, how many of us are going to go to church and say, yeah, sometimes I have just a a little too much idolatry in my life, you know, it, it, but it's fun. It's fine. I'm just trying to have a good time. Or, you know, how many of us would be okay if our pastor stood up from the pulpit and said, yeah, you know, normally I'm pretty careful, but sometimes I, I'm just having some fun. I'm out with my buddies and I, I just accidentally cheat on my wife just a little bit. You know, these aren't things that one, we accidentally fall into. And two, they're not things that we would be like, oh, okay, well, as long as it wasn't too much, as long as you're not loving something more than God too much, that's not a problem. As long as you're only cheating on your wife just a little bit or cheating on your husband just a little bit, you know, just don't don't cross the line too much, but just a little bit's okay, right? Because we're all trying to have fun. We would never apply that to any of these. No one's going to say, oh, well, you know, I went out and was hanging out with the buddies and before I knew it, I was sacrificing a goat and practicing just a little bit of sorcery. You know, none of these things on this list of how our flesh comes out are things that we would ever be okay with doing just a little bit or would not be concerned if someone else shared with us that they were doing it just a little bit. And so we see that drunkenness is just this thing that we don't even want to play with. We don't want to get close to the point where we would have to go to God in repentance or try to cover it up and laugh it off and make it out to be not a big deal. If drunkenness, if the idea of being controlled by a substance, and whatever degree we understand that, you know, because for some people, they might think that you have to be blackout drunk to be drunk. Others might say that just being tipsy is a problem because it is still a loss of control. It is a change in our behavior. And instead of being controlled by the spirit, we're being controlled by alcohol, even if it's only what we would consider a small measure. And so, again, for my own life, if I don't want to toe the line of practicing a little sorcery or cheating on my wife just a little bit, I'm also not going to toe the line of getting close to having just too much alcohol, especially because alcohol is one of those things that it's not hard to have too much. I mean, it's fairly cheap for most people's income. It's readily available. It's socially acceptable, so we don't have to do it in the darkness. It is easy to sin and get drunk. And for me, it's just not worth it. And more than that, I, I don't want to become not just a stumbling block, but a warning to others either. In 1 Corinthians 5.11, we see Paul say, but I actually wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So again, those who make a common practice of drunkenness are lumped into those who make a common practice of being immoral or idolatrous or being a fighter or being a cheat. Being someone who is known for drunkenness, being someone who gets drunk, is not ever looked upon favorably in God's word. It is something that we are to avoid really at all costs, just like any sin, just like anything that brings God's condemnation and judgment on Jesus Christ at the cross so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. If we're getting drunk, we're putting that on Christ. You know, and so overall, we just see in God's word, 
he has a lot to say about drunkenness. I mean, Proverbs 20 verse one says, wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, and whoever is intoxicated by it is not wise. You know, in our modern setting, maybe we don't understand the difference between being wise and being a fool. You know, they're, they're kind of soft words either way. You know, you want to be wise, you know, kind of like an old grandmother, and you don't really want to be a fool like a child, but, you know, a lot of us feel like we're in between. And no, I think that either we are wise or we are a fool. Either we are seeking the things of God and living a life that pleases him, or we are fools who are seeking our own pleasures and our own desires, who are idolatrous and angry and greedy and drunk. And so if the Bible has a lot to say about drunkenness, then for me, it's important to not even start venturing on the path that could lead me towards that foolishness. Maybe I am the type who can drink alcohol and never get drunk. You know, maybe I can find myself in a setting where no one around me has a problem with drinking alcohol in a, in a sin level. But for me, I have to ask myself, is the risk of crossing a line that God hates worth the journey to get there? Am I using wisdom in putting myself in a dangerous position unnecessarily? Or am I being foolish to think that the pleasure of alcohol is something that can be controlled by someone as sinful and weak as I am? And for some people, that's fine. You don't have a problem with it. It's not against your conscience. It's not something that you are ever going to come even close to that line of drinking too much to the point of dishonoring Jesus Christ and and sinning against him in it. But for me, all I can do is stay far away from finding that line between sin and holiness. And then the final reason that I personally don't drink is because I want people to see Jesus Christ through me and not in spite of me. Now, despite my sin nature, I hope you can agree with me that despite your own sin nature, we all want to love and serve Jesus Christ. That is truly what we want. Oftentimes, our love of sin... Our love of pleasure gets in the way of that, and we make terrible decisions often and regularly, and by the grace of God, he still forgives us. But really, deep down, I want to love and serve Jesus Christ with my life. I want him to receive as much glory through my life as he can. Now, I would love for him to get glory through my obedience to him, through my faithfulness to his word, and for me ultimately getting out of the way so that people can just see Jesus Christ. But in my experience, Christ will also receive glory even in my sinfulness. Even when I am weak, even when I make foolish decisions, Jesus Christ will still receive glory because that's just who he is. His glory isn't determined by who we are, right? It's, it's not that I have to work hard and I have to be a good person so that Jesus can look good. Jesus is always going to look good. It's just a matter of whether I am walking alongside him and working towards his glory, or if he is having to get glory in spite of me, despite of who I am, despite of my sinfulness. And so when it comes to alcohol, I don't want to let my desires rob him of the throne of the glory and of the majesty that he deserves for others to see through me. And I'll be honest, I know myself way too well to think that I can drink alcohol with a 0% chance or even just a low chance of it becoming a problem. Now, I would say that odds are very good that my family wouldn't be devastated by it, that 
my blog and this podcast ministry wouldn't be destroyed and crumble and that God wouldn't have to painfully discipline me in an extreme way. You know, like I said, I'm fairly sure that if I were to drink alcohol, those things would not happen. But there is a chance that it could go that way. And now, obviously, we can't avoid sinful temptations in all aspects of our lives. We're all going to be tempted towards greed. We're all going to be tempted towards lust and things like that. I understand that. But alcohol is just one of those things that I don't need in my life. I don't have to go and live out in the woods in order to avoid the temptation of alcohol. I can simply just not spend money on alcohol. I can simply choose not to put a cup of liquid to my lips or a crazy straw or however people like to drink alcohol these days. It's not something that I need to have in measured amounts in my life. I can just not have it at all. And suddenly this very dangerous and disastrous temptation is just non-existent for me. And I guess in that way, for, for my own life, I find myself with one of two choices. Either I am faced with the horror of never, ever drinking alcohol again, never tasting the burn, never enjoying, you know, the, the complex flavors of it. You know, I can be faced with the horror of just never having that, or I can risk the horror of robbing Jesus Christ of his glory. And when measured like that, Christ is going to win every single time because alcohol can be nice. It can be enjoyable. It can foster fun in a responsible setting, but Christ is ultimate. He's everything. And I would not want to do anything to compromise that walk, especially if it's simply just to drink alcohol. And it's not just about devastating my own life, but just kind of this whole discussion in a nutshell, you know, whether it's, you know, me personally, of course, falling into sin, but also causing others to sin, hurting others who know me and maybe tempted towards sin, or even just this ministry suddenly being worthless. You know, I just finished up a, a long series where I've kind of shared my reflections on, you know, these fallen Christian leaders over the years. And, you know, we see just the devastation that their sinful choices bring out in the lives of those who have been blessed and encouraged by them. And now you have these people saying, you know, how could this person, how could someone with this incredible teaching gift, how could they squander it? How could they have been living a lie all this time? And what does that mean for me? Was my salvation not genuine because, you know, God used them to lead me to him? Is all the spiritual growth I've had just a lie that I told myself? Because how could I have grown under such sinful people? And now, obviously, those thoughts aren't true. They're not right. But that is what people go through. And I don't want to introduce that to someone's life. I don't want my desire for alcohol, my desire for pleasure, for relaxation, for freedom from stress or anxiety or depression. I don't want the use of alcohol for whatever reason to be such a problem in the life that I'm supposed to lead for Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a burden to other people in their own walk with Christ. You know, consider what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 23. And I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I would encourage you, as always, to pause. Uh, the references are always down in the show notes. But he starts off by saying, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. And then he goes through and he talks about how he became a Jew. In other words, he started living like a Jew in order to win Jews to Christ. He lived like someone under the law. He lived like those without the law. And that's not that he broke the law. He didn't become, you know, some kind of outlaw in order to save people like Jesse James. 
or to bring them to, to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But instead, he became all things to all people. And in the middle of all this, where, where Paul is sharing how he wasn't interested in living the life that he wanted. He was interested in going to the people who needed him, who were in desperate need of Jesus Christ. And instead of letting his own desires, his own preferences, and his own lifestyle kind of make him an outsider and an outcast from people, he instead allowed himself to be whoever God needed him to be in order to reach the Jews and the Gentiles and those who felt bound by the law. He became all things to all people. And in the middle of all this, he talks about how to the weak, I became weak so that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may, by all means, save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And now, obviously, the language is weird here because Paul is talking about how he became these things to save people. And we know that Paul isn't the one saving them, but he is wanting to rescue them from the the coming judgment for their sin. He wanted their names to be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And because he loved people so much, and because he, more than anything, loved Jesus Christ more than himself, he set aside who Paul was. He set aside his identity, his desires, his entire life, and he did it all in order to reach those who needed Jesus Christ. It needed Jesus Christ much more than Paul needed this or that. And so when he talks about how he became weak so that he could win the weak, I think that has a lot to do with kind of what we've talked about up till now about, you know, this weakness isn't this failure. It's not a lack of strength. It's a sensitivity. It's a struggle. It is a history of something that makes you unable to kind of be neutral to something or to not struggle in a sin way with a behavior, with an attitude, with, you know, a location, whatever it is. And so Paul here is talking about how he allowed his life to be led by the sensitivity of others the weaknesses, the struggles of others so that he could win them. In other words, he didn't want himself to become a stumbling block to someone who either was in Christ or who needed Christ. He was not going to let his freedom to do whatever he wants because Jesus Christ saved him in order to just live life for himself and to be selfish at the expense of the spiritual health or even the souls of other people. You know, Paul, like he closes it up by saying, he did all things for the sake of the gospel. And That is how I want my life to be reflected as well. When it comes to alcohol, I want my choice to drink or not to drink to be done for the glory of Jesus Christ, not because I have permission to do it, not because it's not forbidden in the Bible and so I can. I have to ask myself, am I drinking to the glory of God? Am I thinking of others before myself or not? And for me personally, it's a big it's a big no that I I can't drink alcohol. And, you know, this is even in a much more personal reason for me because, uh, you know, I live in Iowa, you know, kind of in the center of America. Uh, It's a, and the crowds that I hang out with and kind of the just people around me in general are very conservative minded. And a lot of people have a very real spiritual problem with alcohol to the degree that they may question the salvation or at the very least the spiritual maturity of a person who does drink alcohol. And obviously, as you're going to find out soon, I disagree with that idea. I disagree with the idea that if you drink in any amount, you are a fool. Because as we said, the Bible doesn't talk about drinking is foolishness, it's drunkenness, that's foolishness. But regardless of that, regardless of theological differences that we have, despite 
me believing that I have a better understanding of how alcohol should be interpreted through a biblical worldview. I'm not going to let alcohol be the thing that someone uses to ignore truth that I might say. And by that, I mean that I don't want someone who, you know, is just a very, very conservative Christian who believes that any alcohol is sinful, that Christians should not even have it in their homes. I don't want them to, to get into a discussion with me about something important about God or even about legalism in general, because that's where a lot of that comes from is this kind of legalistic mindset of, you know, do this, don't do this or else. And if I'm going to be talking to someone about that, if I'm going to be explaining kind of the freedoms that we have in Christ, that this idea of legalism where we have to keep a set of rules in order to impress God or in order to earn his favor or avoid his wrath, where God kind of just becomes this taskmaster. You know, if I am trying to talk to people about this or, you know, if I'm talking to, you know, Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or, you know, people, other people who avoid alcohol in, in their own religion— I'm not going to let their knowledge of me drinking be something where they can say, okay, you know, maybe he has a good point about, you know, how the Old Testament works with the New Testament. Maybe he has a good point about the freedoms we have in Christ. Maybe his understandings of the letters of Paul make a lot of sense. You know, maybe what he says about, you know, my own religion sounds true, but I know that he drinks alcohol and I just can't respect someone who says that. I can't take seriously someone who would slap God in the face and drink alcohol and God clearly forbids it. And again, there are a number of reasons that someone could look at me, look at my life, and want to reject things that I say. I can't avoid absolutely everything because what one person, what I may avoid, may turn someone else off. But I know that in my own life, I'm going to run into people. I'm going to talk to people. And I even have a burden for people who are so bound up in legalism that they can't even see the gospel. And I, for the sake of the gospel, am very willing to go without alcohol for the sake of winning people to Christ or winning people towards spiritual maturity. And then just a final point about wanting my life to reflect Jesus Christ and for me to be spiritually mature. I'd like to talk about what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 8. Now, this is, uh, as some of you may know, kind of the qualifications for an elder or a pastor of a church. And I'm not going to read it all, but there's a kind of a long list of things that if you are looking for someone to become an elder or pastor of your church, these are the, the basic requirements they need to meet. And one of them is that they are not addicted to wine. Now, hearing that, you may think, okay, well, I'm never going to become a pastor, so that doesn't apply to me. And when we're looking at the qualifications for elders, that's a tempting th thing to say. It's tempting to put pastors on a different level of us and say, oh, well, those are just super Christians. Those are people who are specifically set aside for God in a very unique way. You know, it's, it's, we may think about them like the Nazarenes in the Old Testament where they had a very specific and unique way of living that just didn't apply to the normal person. But realistically, if we look at all the qualifications of an elder that we see throughout God's word, the only thing that is really and truly unique about a pastor is that they are able to teach. That's really the only difference that we see between what is required for a pastor and what is simply part of being a mature believer in Jesus Christ. 
because if you were to go back to Galatians 5 and read the fruit of the Spirit and, and contrast it with the deeds of the flesh like we talked about, you would see that a lot of the qualifications of an elder are simply someone who is not practicing the works of the flesh, but it instead is showing the fruit of the Spirit. And so in the middle of all of this, we see that a mature Christian is expected to not be addicted to wine. And now I think there's kind of two important things here. One is the idea of addiction itself, but also what makes wine so unique. And that is the, the again, the controlling nature of it. The fact that it is either wine or the Holy Spirit controlling our lives. And so as I take kind of all of this together and I'm thinking about, you know, how me as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is alcohol something that I should have in my life? Not, is it something I can have in my life? Because I'm not approaching alcohol and trying to find reasons against it, trying to say, you know, I'm going to say I'm going to drink unless someone can convince me otherwise. Instead, I'm wanting to say, I don't need this. I don't want this. Is this something that I can have in my life without trouble, without the potential to draw me away from Christ, without the potential to hurt others, or without the potential to just stand in the way of Christ and the work that he is going to do through my own life. And as I just sit, and as in the past I've reflected on all of this stuff, and just the nature of being a mature Christian in general, one who cares about the spiritual health of others more than my own pleasure, as I'm called to live a life of devotion to the one who matters most of all, I don't want to do anything to stand in the way of that. If, if I'm standing in the way of Jesus Christ and his work through my life and in my life, then it's not just that I'm making bad choices. I'm also standing against God. I'm in his way. I'm outside of his will. And at the end of the day, the cost of drinking alcohol is much more than just what comes out of my bank account. The greatest cost for it is that I can steal glory from Jesus Christ. I can steal it from him through working in my own life, through causing others to be tempted towards sin, and to just not be useful for him in this life. And again, alcohol is just one of those things that I don't need to take in small measures because it's a part of life. It is something that I can either have or completely do without. And again, for me, I can't compromise. I can't approach it all with balance and wisdom and for my own life say, you know, I, I'm okay drinking alcohol. I'm okay having just a little bit of fun, just, you know, having a measured amount, you know, not too much, not to where I don't remember things the next day or where, you know, I'm tipsy or whatever. For me, it's just not worth the risk and the cost of wasting this life that Jesus Christ has given me and using my freedom to hurt others or hurt myself. So that is a long explanation of why I don't drink. And it might seem like, you know, maybe I sit there and I, I'm sounding like a legalist despite me talking about legalism. You know, maybe I sound like this, you know, kind of pent up, buttoned up, you know, old guy who just doesn't want anyone to have fun. But here's the reality. If you're listening to this, you can still drink if it's not a sin problem for you. I should really clarify that. But in general, for someone who is not weak, who is not sensitive, who does not struggle with alcohol, you have the freedom in Jesus Christ to drink it without violating what God has laid out and how we should think about alcohol or just anything in life in general, really. 
you know, these, this episode has been really about my standards and it's not just a personal opinion. I hope I've shown that my reason for not drinking alcohol is very much founded on a biblical worldview and in wanting to bring glory to Jesus Christ much more than I'm worried about my own enjoyment or even my own freedoms that I have in Jesus Christ. But throughout everything I've said, and I've kind of been dropping hints here and there, but Paul talks about, you know, we as Christians are free to eat meat offered to idols. We are free to drink alcohol. We are free to even listen to, you know, music that isn't, you know, worship music or hymns or things like that. I mean, we have the freedom to do a lot of things in this life, you know, as long as they aren't outright directly in violation of God's nature and his character and his desire for his people, there's a lot that we can do in this life that, you know, for some, it may be right for us. And for some, like we see in that James passage, it might be sin for us because we know that we should or shouldn't do something. And if we don't do it, it's sin. So we have that freedom in Jesus Christ. And I don't want anyone to hear this and think that, oh, because I've got so much to say about alcohol, I kind of look down on people or I would doubt someone's spiritual maturity or anything like that. That is 100% not at all the issue here. So, you know, understand that my standards aren't the biblical standard in terms of I don't drink alcohol and so no other Christian should either. You know, but instead, my only appeal to you if you're listening to this is to think about the glory of God. Think about holiness in your own life. If you can drink alcohol responsibly and not disqualify yourself from being a mature Christian, if you can drink it without causing someone else to stumble, if you can drink it without it being a problem in your own life, you know, un, you know, just taking everything that I've kind of discussed in terms of loving others and loving God, if you can still drink alcohol, then enjoy it. Enjoy it to the glory of God. And at the end of this, I hope that all I've really shown is, I guess, really two things. And we find these in, again, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the first is in Galatians 5, verses 13 to 15. You, you recall, It says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So one, as you think about alcohol or really anything in your life, ask yourself, just because I'm free to do it, am I loving others more than myself by doing it? Or is it more loving to those who do struggle, who are spiritually weak to something in particular, to not do it? So that's one takeaway I hope you can get from this, is that we need to make sure that we are loving others more than ourselves when we're thinking about alcohol. And then second is in Galatians 5, 16 to 17. It says, but, if I, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets itself against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So ultimately, how we view alcohol must be the result of surrendering to Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, this, this passage in Galatians, this leads right up into that whole deeds of the flesh and fruit of the spirit discussion. And it says that we have to walk by the spirit so that we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. So as we think about alcohol, are we okay with drinking because it feeds our flesh or because we are fully in the spirit? We are walking closely alongside Jesus Christ and still have a godly desire to enjoy alcohol. Now, again, I have no doubt that there are people who can, but I suspect that a lot of people who are okay with alcohol might be trying to put Christian trappings on a fleshly desire. And by that, I mean that they will justify it by the Bible, 
but really their motivation, their heart's desire is to drink alcohol for themselves and to do so to the point that maybe they even get drunk. Maybe they are controlled by it in some way. Maybe they spend money they don't have in order to do it. And so if one call for our thoughts on alcohol is to love others, the second and the greatest call is to make sure that whatever we do with alcohol, whether we drink it or even if we choose not to drink it, we want to make sure that we are doing it because we want to bring the greatest glory to Jesus Christ, even at the expense of our own desires, even at the expense of how we may look to others. So at the end of the day, we are not forbidden from enjoying something good, and thus we can't condemn others for it either. And so as we continually pursue Christ, we need to remember that just because something can be enjoyed doesn't mean it's wise to enjoy it. And as we seek to love others, we need to realize that the world is filled with broken people. And as children of God, we want to make sure that we make them so much more important than ourselves. And so our priorities are clear. And I want to end the episode with this final thought. First, we want to make Jesus Christ the most important thing in our lives. We want to make other people second. And we need to let ourselves be as far back in our minds as possible. And when we balance life in that way, what we choose to do will be much more likely to honor Jesus Christ, even if it comes at the expense of our own desires. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. I want to thank my monthly supporters for making this podcast possible. If you would like to support this ministry as well, you can visit me at patreon.com slash onward in the faith. I hope this episode helps you keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.